Random Inks Productions presents the Credulous Nerds Podcast. Join us as we review Solo, a Star Wars story. We've got a good feeling about this one. everyone to the credulous nerds podcast today we'll be talking about solo a star wars story and how it was recently released in theaters i went and saw it over opening weekend and love this film and can't wait to talk more about it as always my name is justin and for today i have my guest co-host with me harry hey fellow nerds and we want to welcome harry to the show he's been on before and glad to have him back talking star wars He's a, a lifelong Star Wars guy and has grown up with, with Star Wars as, as well as I have, and it's, it's great to have him on the show. So welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah. And our regular co-host, Mark, he is not with us today. He's, if you've been following us and listening to us over the past few episodes, you know that he and his wife recently had twin baby girls, so... He's got his hands full with those two girls along with his two-year-old daughter. So he, he'll be in and out over the next few months with us, but eventually we want to have him back on as a regular co-host. So I'm sure he'll talk about Solo at some point. He'll give his opinion and we'll revisit Solo again, probably um, when it comes out on video, if not before. We want to thank you guys for joining us today. Um, we did recently release a spoiler-free episode of Solo, A Star Wars Story. So if you haven't seen the film Solo, definitely go listen to that one. Because this one will be filled with spoilers. And we'll be talking you know, about everything. Everything that's in the film and, and more, we'll be talking. So if you don't mind spoilers, great. If you do, you probably want to wait till you see the film. So uh, this movie came out May 24th, 2018. It was directed by Ron Howard and it stars Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo, Donald Glover as Lando Carizian, Amelia Clark as Kira, Woody Harrelson as Beckett, Thandi Newton as Val, Phoebe Waller Bridge as L3, the droid, Paul Bettany as Dryden Voss, and Chewbacca is played by, I hope I'm saying his name right, uh, Junis Suatamo, um, not Peter Mayhew. That's all. I guess all you need to know. <laughs> but um, yeah, so this film film came out um, this weekend. We're recording this show May twenty seventh. So just a couple days ago, it came out, and both Harry and I have seen it. Harry's seen it twice. He's hardcore. I've only seen it once up to this point. Um, and for you, Harry, was there a difference between the first and second time? Um, no, I guess because I saw them so close together, it was just, you know, like a day and a half apart. And I went in looking for, um, all the stuff I missed, like the little things in the backgrounds or, or details or or whatever, but I got caught right back up in the whole story. And it was like watching it again the first time. 
And so I have to see it a third time to try to pick those details out, <laughs> cameos and, and links and all of that, because I, I enjoyed it so much that I just got right back into it. And it was all fresh and new, even though I knew where everything was going and what was going to happen. It was still like the first time. Yeah. So the rewatchability factor is pretty high then. I think so. Very much so. Um, good story, some, some good acting, and then just all of the action that's in it and, and just the reveals about Solo's, his past life and how he becomes who he is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going and see it again at least once, if not tw- two or three times. So, yeah, it should be good. Um, so the movie starts out, one thing I was thinking about I thought was interesting is, you know, all Star Wars movies start out with the blue text of in a galaxy far, far, or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? And that was the case with this. But then it went into, wasn't a crawl like like the other ones with the blue text that kind of disappear, scroll across the screen and disappear into space. But it had kind of a similar format where it was telling you a setting us in a time and a place in the Star Wars universe but the text was the same blue font that we see, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I kind of talked about what was going on in the galaxy and what was going on in Corellia. And I thought that was interesting. I was like, well, why didn't they just do a regular crawler like they have done with the rest of them? And I, I don't know, what, what were your thoughts on that, Harry? Or, or did you, did it really matter? Well, I, I wondered too, but then I was trying to remember and I haven't had a chance to look. But did Rogue One have the crawl? Or no. did it have the- Rogue One was just the the title and then it went into the movie. Okay. So I, I wonder if this is a conscious decision by everybody involved to separate the rest of the Star Wars movies from the actual the, the numbered storyline. Yeah. I think there is a, a conscious decision to to do that. Um, I was just, I just thought I was curious that they, they still provided the, the information. It just wasn't instead of the, the yellow scrolling text, it was just the, the blue text. And I was like, well, that's, I think it's kind of cool, but well, why? <laughs> so I guess there's probably be some information that comes out on that earlier or later, I guess, as to why they chose to do that instead of the normal, the normal way. But anyway, so we start off with uh, Han. Yeah, he's jumping into a speeder and he's getting chased and he, he's riding his, his speeder back to the base, or the crime lord base that he kind of operates out of. And he meets up with Kira. So we see Kira for the first time. And they're, you know, a little bit younger <clears throat> than they are throughout the rest of the film. This scene was set three years prior to the main events of the film. So they, they're a little bit younger, they're friends, they're lovers, uh, these boyfriend, girlfriend type thing where they, they're, they have a plan to buy a ship and escape together. But they're, they're working for, uh, what was their Proxima Midnight? Lady Proxima. Lady Proxima. Okay. Yeah. Lady Proxima is the, the local gangster that they work for. And so they have to kind of escape her captivity from her as well as escape the planet Corellia, which is an Imperial occupied planet. 
I thought it was cool how they were, you see them building Star Destroyers on Corellia. So yeah, that was one of my favorite parts there, that Star Destroyer hanging in low orbit that's still in, you know, unfinished. And then the heavy lifters taking parts, recognizable parts of Star Destroyers, lifting them off the surface to haul into orbits. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And that's always been a, uh, a thing from the, the old EU expanded universe was that Corellia built ships and that I'm not sure if they specifically built star destroyers in the EU, but if I remember correctly, they did. So it kind of lined up with the old EU. I mean, one of the complaints of disbanding the EU was all that, you know, story and information was just wiped clean. But as we've seen with star Wars rebels and the movies, they're starting to incorporate all those elements from the EU into you know, the, the stories of, of the films and the, the animated show. And so it's good that, it's, that all that cool stuff isn't just lost and thrown away. So that was pretty sweet to see that. <clears throat> but Han is able to get a hold of, um, I forget what it's called, but it's a power source, right? Fuel. Coaxium. Coaxium. And that fuels the hyperdrives. Is that what they do? That that's my understanding. Yes. Yeah. So, and it's worth a lot of money. He's able to steal just a small chunk of it. And him and Kira are going to use that to to escape the planet and live life on their own. But their Lady Proxima kind of captures them, and they have to escape from her. And as they're doing so, they make their way to an Imperial base where they are going to board one of the ships and, and fly away. But before they can escape, uh, Han is able to get through the, the checkpoint, but Kira's captured. So she has to stay behind. But, and Han has no choice but to go ahead without her. Or else he's going to get captured and has to stay there as well. So That was kind of a heartbreaking moment for me. Because I, I really bought into Han and Kira's relationship quickly. I mean, it is something that made sense to me. I enjoyed watching them together. They were kind of in their speeder running from the troopers and the, the Lady Proxima's gangsters. And they're having some adventures. And I immediately bought into it. And so when they had to separate, it, it was sad for me. I, I didn't want that to happen. So. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, yes, Uh you could see like living in the, under the thumb of lady Proxima, you're going to need a partner in crime. And uh, if there's a cute girl around, you know, you're going to gravitate to her. Oh yeah. <laughs> they had their plans. They had their dreams. Um, and, and this plan was moving forward and you're like, yes, they're going to get off this, this terrible place. They're going to go someplace better. And, the, and they're going to have more adventures together. And like, wait a minute. No, they're not Hans there. And she's captured. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's done. Are we ever even going to see her again? Yeah. 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 So a great story development there. I thought that was great. Uh, so then Han Solo signs up to be an Imperial pilot. Cause that's the only way he can escape. Cause they're onto him. They know he's there in the crowd somewhere. So he goes and talks to uh, Imperial. Uh, what do they call those sign up? 
places. Like a recruiter. Recruiter, yeah. Talked to an Imperial recruiter and he signs up to be an Imperial pilot, which is another thing they brought in from the old EU is that Han spent some time as a Imperial pilot. And here we see it addressed. We don't really see him be an Imperial pilot, but you know, it lays the groundwork for it. Um, what do you, th- what did you think about how he got his name? I thought that was really cool. Is, you know, for however many movies there's been for the years and years since 1977, I've wondered about that. Um, you know, this is just a last name that they picked for him. You know, he's from this family. He's obviously got a family. You know, he just didn't appear. Um, there's a solo family out there, right? It's like, no, there's not. Uh, he's the only one. He, he's an orphan. There's no family. It's just him. That was pretty cool, I thought. Yeah, I liked the idea that... You know, he obviously Solo is like its own. It it doesn't seem like a family name. It just seems like a moniker that he took for himself. But here we see that the Imperial recruiter asks his last name and Han's like, I don't, I don't have a family really. I'm just Han. And so then the the recruiter's like, okay, Han Solo. And so that's how he gets his name. Kind of cool to see. I liked it. So he's yeah, able. Go ahead. That was a cool scene. Um, the the whole with the recruiting video playing in the background with the Imperial March and just yeah. like it, it, that really, to me, set up what the what the galaxy is like at this time. It's a war machine, and and they're trying to bring people in for this this big fight that's going on in the backgrounds. And so having him get recruited right there, that was I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah, so he's able to escape Corellia by joining the Empire. And then from there, it jumps forward three years, and we get into the main storyline at this point. And he's on the planet Mimban. I think that's how you say it, Mimban. And that's another planet taken from the EU that we've read stories about. There's been a couple novels based on, on this planet. And so the Empire is there fighting against... We never really see who the, who they're fighting against, I don't think. And Solo's there, and he's dressed up in an imperial outfit, and he's fighting alongside him. We learn that he washed out of the Imperial Academy as far as uh, being a pilot because he, I don't, did they ever really say what happened? Just that he couldn't follow orders or something? Yeah, that's the gist that I got was he got himself kicked out well, he said, because I'm a free thinker, I, you know, I think for myself, yeah. um, which is just straight up, I have attitude and I can't follow order. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the impression I got. So, yeah. Um, he, but he did learn to fly. He did fly for a bit. And but here on this planet, he meets up with Beckett and his crew. He, they're fighting against them, but he kind of tells they're not really part of the empire, that they have a different agenda. And he wants in because he knows it's possibly a way out. So he tries to hook up with them and their, um, their cause, but they keep shunning him and kind of saying, get out of here. And eventually he's kind of the Beckett. He um, sets him up and makes it look like he's a deserter. So they capture him and they throw him in this pit with the beast. And where he's in this muddy pit and 
is chained up. And I was like, oh no, it sounds like a raincor. Are we going to see another raincor? But it wasn't. The beast was actually Chewbacca. And I thought that was a pretty cool twist to have him show up and be the beast. So this is the first time that we get to see Han and Chewie together. And Chewie's trying to eat him. <laughs> He's going to eat him, kill him, and eat him. <laughs> so Han's, they're just fighting him off, and they're wrestling. And Han speaks a little bit of, um, I forget how to pronounce the language that they speak, but he speaks a little Wookiee and is able to convince Chewie to go along with him and to escape. So they're able to to make it look like they're fighting, but then they are able to find a way to get out of the pit and they kind of run off together and um, Han knows where Beckett's going. So he chases, uh, chases Beckett down and they end up getting on the ship. They convince him to, to join on the ship and are able to escape the planet. So what did you think of Han meeting Chewie for the first time and, and that whole, how it was presented and, was that a good way to, to do it? Or should I, did you have a different idea? No, um, I, I thought that was really cool. You know, they're taking him to the beast and like, oh, geez, how's he going to escape this? What beast are they going to feed him to? Um, and then it ends up being Chewbacca and love seeing him get whipped by Chewbacca. He's throwing him around. He's, he's punching him. He's, he's beating him up. And then you know, he is ready to kill him and eat him. When he convinces them, hey, if we work together, we can get out of here. And that's that, you know, the beginning of, of the lifelong friendship and, and, and all of that that we know and love. And it was, it was cool. Um, I know it's slightly different from what people were expecting um, as far as what used to be in the EU. But I thought it was a cool way to, to introduce it um, and without, you know, dragging it out. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't remember how they met in the the EU, but I knew that Chewie was enslaved and on freedom, which is what happened. It's what we saw. So for me, it worked. Um, I thought it was a great way to introduce Chewie into the into the films. Well, I guess we'd seen him in Episode Three briefly, but as a main character, this is I thought it was a great way to to show that. So they're able to get on Beckett's ship with his crew and they, they fly off to the job that they're going to do. And the job they're doing is they're going to hijack this train and steal the, the fuel source and sell it to Dryden Voss. And Dryden was the, the leader of the Crimson Dawn, right? Yes. Yeah. So they're, they've been hired. They're basically mercenaries. They've been hired to do this job, steal from the Empire, and give it to the, the Crimson Dawn. And they'll get paid for it. And I was glad to see that this, because we've seen the trailer where they're on the train, and you know they're trying to steal something from the train. And I was hoping that that wasn't the final um, you know, battle of the film. So I was glad to see that this was early on in the film, that it's just one part of this two-hour movie. You know, it was in the first third of the movie. So I was happy to see that for some reason. I thought it was done well. Uh, they, they figure out how to work together. And 
they get on the train, some pretty cool sequences. The train itself was pretty, pretty cool. How it kind of twisted and turned. It wasn't just a normal train. And there were guards, troopers on the, on the train with magnetic boots that they had to contend with. But then in addition to that, they had this other mercenary, uh, Enfys Nest and her crew. And so they show up. So not only do they have to deal with the troopers, but they got to deal with Enfys Nest. And basically they fail, right? They, they're able to get the, the car that has the, the fuel source isolated from the rest of the train and get it lifted off. They use their ship to lift it off the track and fly away with it. But um, Enfys Nest also has a part of the train, and so they basically have to sacrifice the payload to escape alive. And so the payload blows up, and they have to return to Crimson Dawn empty-handed. But they suffer great losses in the, in the heist. Fandy uh, Newton's character, Val, who her and Beckett had a relationship going. So not only did Beckett um, lose a crew member, he lost someone he cared about. And um, she sacrificed herself so that they could complete the job, but eventually they weren't able to even complete the job due to Enfys Nest. So based on what we know about Beckett, I mean, later on in the film, we see that he... He betrays Han Solo and Chewie and pretty much everybody. Um, but yet, earlier in the film, we're shown that he cares about Val. And Val cares about him. How did you think that fit into the character of, of Beckett? And do you think Beckett really cared about her? It's something I still wonder about. Um, he's, you know, More than once, he tells Han, you know, don't trust anybody. Don't get connected to anybody. Take care of yourself. And but yet you see them, you know, kind of in that quiet moment there before the heist. And you're like, well, you know, these two really are together and they're looking forward to a life after all of this. And, and this is seemingly the way that they're going to do it. But then later on, when when he's telling them, hey, I'm, I'm going off because I've got I still have debts to pay. Um, I started wondering, would he have sacrificed her, you know, to make the money he needs for those other debts or, or even this current one. Is he really that cold and hardcore? And, and possibly, I think, I think maybe he is. Um, he's, you know, he's scum. He's a smuggler. He's a thief. And, but he's also a survivor. So probably willing to sacrifice anybody because you can always build a new crew as long as you're alive. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, my thoughts were that if she would have survived and they would have got away with the payload, that he would have retired and it would have worked for them. But once he had this loss, he was just like, screw it. You know, I can't trust anybody. I don't care anymore. I'll do whatever it takes. He kind of, I kind of got the impression he was coming out of that cold heartedness. But when she died, when Val died, he just went right back to where he was before. So I don't know, maybe not though. That, I think that sets up a good parallel to, to Han Solo and Leia in episode seven, right? Like I was shocked to see that Han and Leia weren't together in episode seven. That he had gone back to his smuggler ways. And we kind of get a hint of that with this, you know, with Beckett, that 
you know, he lost someone he loved. And so he just was going to go back to his smuggler ways and double cross anybody and everybody. And so I think Han Solo was a little more, um, not as cold hearted as Beckett was, but he kind of went back to what he knew. He went back to smuggling. Um, yeah, I definitely see that. Uh, I hadn't even considered that, that connection to episode, um, seven there. Um, so I, I guess it makes sense because by the end of this movie, you know, he feels double crossed and alone and it's just him and Chewie now. And when we first see them in a new hope, it's just him and Chewie. And then when we see him again, it's just him and Chewie. Um, so he keeps going back to what he knows and the best way he knows to survive and protect himself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, we see the beginnings of the Han Solo we see in episode seven with this in this film. Cause in the beginning he was, he I had mentioned, I think in the previous episode of our podcast, the spoiler free episode that for me was this one that Han had a kind of a naivete about him. Like with, in the very beginning with him and Kira, he was just, you know, he, he thought they could get away from lady Proxima that they could escape the planet. They could, buy a ship and they could live happy and it, that kind of came through. And I think he's changed by the end of the movie. He realizes he, he starts to realize you, you do, you can't trust anybody anymore. You know, Kira leaves him and Beckett, he didn't know him that long, but they started to develop a friendship. He betrayed him. And so we kind of see how Han becomes such a, uh, a loner, I guess you could say, Han Solo, right? And it's because of what happens in this movie. He starts down that path because of what happens in this movie. Definitely a different origin story than Luke Skywalker. Um, so they have to go back to Dryden Voss and say, "Hey, we failed. We didn't get the. We had the payload, but it blew up because of Infus Nest. We don't have the the goods." And Dryden is not happy and he's going to kill him. He's going to kill Beckett. He's going to kill Han and Chewie. But guess who's there? Kira. And Kira's working for Dryden Voss. And I, I thought this was a little bit of a stretch, but I didn't, I didn't mind it. I thought it was cool that she was there, but I thought it was like, well, how out of all the people in the universe in this galaxy, right? She ends up with him and Han Solo meets up with her three years later. So I, I don't know. I thought it was a stretch, but a pleasant one. Do you have any thoughts on that, Harry? Well, yeah, when I first saw her come walking up, my, my first impression was like, okay, Crimson Dawn bought her from, from Lady Proxima because she was one of the cute girls, and now she's a pleasure girl. Um, you know, she's, she's a slave, basically, to Crimson Dawn, and she kind of is. So I was like, okay, I can see how they picked her up. Okay. Um, and then, you know, it's revealed that she's Dragon's lieutenant, his top lieutenant. So now it's like, okay, well, maybe still she was picked up as, as a slave, as a pleasure girl, but because she has a very strong will to survive, um, she moved up through the ranks. So I could see the possibilities that, uh, you know, she proved herself once she was purchased from Lady Proxima and kind of moved up through the Crimson Dawn ranks. And now this is where she's at now, um, became a survivor. Because by the end, that's really what we see. Um, 
she's willing to do whatever it takes to survive, even if it means abandoning on again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it that way. So I think it is more plausible for me now that, you know, she was, cause they're all part of the criminal underground and I'm sure lady Proxima owes the crimson Don something. I, it may be all related to the, the mineral, the, what's it called? Ian? Uh, the uh, coaxium. Yeah. Might be all related to the coaxium. Cause we see lady Proxima. That's what Han was stealing in the beginning. And this is what Dryden Voss needs now. So it's, they're all kind of related. So that's probably the thread line for, for Kira to end up with Dryden Voss. So I wonder what, if there's something bigger going on with that coaxium, what it's for other than just, it's worth a lot of money. That's, that's interesting. All right. So, uh, Kira's there on the ship. She meets up with Han. They, they're happy to see each other. But like you said, Kira's got a secret. She actually works for Voss and is his top lieutenant. And so when they're trying to figure out a way to pay back or come up with another job to pay back Voss, uh, Kira's the one that steps in and kind of saves them and is told to go on this new mission with Han and Beckett and Chewie. And the plan is they're going to go to Kessel and grab a big payload of coaxium, but it's not refined. And so it's dangerous because if it reaches a certain temperature, it explodes. And so they have to get it from Kessel to another planet to get it refined as quickly as possible. And then they can use, once it's refined, then they're good to go and Voss will forgive them and pay them their money. So that's the plan. And so Kira and Han and Beckett and Chewie leave and they, but they need a ship. So that's where they go to meet Lando. And I forget which planet they go to, to meet them. Do you remember? I don't, I don't even remember if it was mentions. Yeah, Um, Yeah, maybe not. So I don't think they say we're going to go see Lando. They just say, I know a guy who has a ship and we all know it's Lando. (laughs) Right. So, they go to this planet and it's in a cantina. You know, some of the best moments from Star Wars happen in a cantina or a seedy place. And Lando's there playing uh, Sabacc with a bunch of aliens. And for me, this is one of the core moments of the film where Han Solo just kind of saunters in to the, the table. He's like, you know, is there an open spot? Lando's like, there's a chair there. So they, he sits down and they start playing. And for me, this was really a cool moment just to see them meet for the first time, see them talk to each other, try to bluff each other, one-up each other. You know, that whole thing was just really fun to watch. I mean, if if the movie ended there, I'd be like, okay, that was a cool movie. <laughs> that was just a really cool part. Yeah, for sure. That's that legendary Sabacc game. Yep. We finally get to see it. We've read about it. We've heard it whispered or talked about in movies. And here it is. You're like, oh, yes. I was like, you. this is it? I was like, sweet. My life is complete. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, but there's a twist to it, right? Han doesn't win. 
Right. <laughs> we all thought all this time, oh, yeah, he's going to win this. He's going to win. And they cut it. They edited it so it looked like he was going to win. But he didn't. And just I was thinking, hmm, well, that's interesting. <laughs> so, but we find out later that Lando cheats at cards. That's how he won. <laughs> so that comes into play later. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But, um, yeah, so Han loses, but they still talk him in, talk Lando into joining the crew and flying the ship for them. So that's when we meet Lando in L3. What did you think of L3, the droid? Um, just annoying, I guess. Um, and uh, we were talking about it after we watched the movie again yesterday, just how it's kind of silly. Um, if, if she's, she's the, the droid should know that all of these other droids have basic programming, right? They have a, a particular job to do. There's no elaborate programming to give them a personality. So, you know, you can tell them be free and they're like, what? But I got to go work on the moisture evaporator. <laughs> and because that's their programming, that's all they're going to do. So it was kind of silly almost um, because there would be very few droids in the, in the galaxy that didn't have regular memory wipes or a very specific narrow set of instructions that they followed. And so it's like, I don't know, that was the Kathleen Kennedy moment for me in the movie. Let's, let's throw something that, you know, uh, an agenda Disney wants to push um, unnecessarily and without even thinking if this makes any sense at all, because it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. For me, she was my least favorite or least interesting character. There were some funny moments with her, but overall, I, I didn't care for her. I mean, she, C-3PO for me is kind of a love to hate him. Like, I think he has some great moments and he's funny. But then there's other times where he's just annoying as all get out. Uh-huh. And she was more annoying as all get out than <laughs> in comparison to 3PO. So, um, yeah, I mean, she, yeah, like you said, maybe there was an agenda where we got to include this droid with a personality. And I think that kind of takes away from 3PO and R2, right? Because that's one thing that always set them apart is they had a personality. They weren't just following their programming. For some reason, they were different. But with her, with L3, and even with K2SO, you're getting these droids who are like person. They're human, right? They have their own set of ideas, and they're not droids anymore. And I think that's starting to take away from 3PO and R2 and even BB-8 to some degree. Because then you see other, like you said, other, most droids are just doing their programming. So what separates someone like L3 and 3PO from random R2 unit? They're working on the moisture evaporators. So anyways. But she served her purpose. Uh, eventually she gets shot, uh, shot down, and they use her memory banks to download uh, the navigational maps from her memory into the Falcon. So I think that's a good end for her. <laughs> you know, her, she served her purpose where her knowledge is uploaded into, into the Falcon to make the Falcon even more cooler. But uh, so they decide to go to the spice mines of Kessel and we get to see, finally see the spice mines of Kessel. It was mentioned in episode four, a throwaway line from C-3PO. 
and there's been a couple stories written about it, some comics and everything. So it was good to see that on screen finally. But they go there, they fly in. Their plan is to, um, we kind of saw it in episode four where they're going to pretend that they've captured Han and Chewie and they're going to infiltrate the, the mine. And then Han and Chewie will escape and go find the, the coaxium. And so one cool throwback moment that we saw here was with Beckett. Oh yeah, I guess Beckett's been in, involved in all this too. <laughs> I keep forgetting to mention him, but he's there. And he has on the skiff guard uniform that we see Lando wear in episode six, Return of the Jedi at Jabba's Palace. So I thought that was great. Like, oh, okay. So you can tie that into that's where that came from. Yeah, that was a cool tie-in. Yeah. So Kira and Beckett, uh, Kira is kind of the, the, the one in charge, and she demands to talk to the one in charge there at the mine. And while they're talking, Han and Chewie escape, and they go to try and find the, the coaxium. And for we finally get to see Chewie rip some arms off. <laughs> yep. That was about time we saw that, because the first movie, 1977, we hear about it, but we never see it till. 2018 that was cool it was kind of cool because you just you hear, you see han you struggling with the guard and then you hear like this ripping sound <laughs> <Like, laughs> and then you see chewie standing there with two arms <laughs> like, oh yeah um so they they're going they're going through the mines chewie actually sees some other wookies they're being whipped and electrocuted with those prodder cattle prodder things. And so he Han lets him run off and go rescue the fellow Wookiees. I thought that was kind of cool. Han finds the coaxium. He starts to bring it back to the surface, but it's too heavy. So Chewie shows up with all the other Wookiees and they help him bring the coaxium up to load onto the Falcon. One thing I was kind of disappointed in, cause we saw uh, one other Wookiee in the trailer. So I thought we'd get to see more Wookiees. We did, but they were just kind of there and then they were gone. So I thought, I don't know. I was a little disappointed in that. I wanted to see more Wookiee team up, I guess. <laughs> so, but we didn't. And from what I understand, um, Anthony Daniels, who plays C-3PO was the Wookiee that Chewie meets up with kind of they kind of give each other a headbutt before they run off that and that was played by Anthony Daniels that, that Wookiee so um but in this battle to escape uh this is when L3 gets shot and Lando goes out to grab her and he gets shot in the arm so he can't pilot the Falcon and they right, but then everybody gets back on and they escape so Lando can't fly it. L3 is blown up, so she can't co-pilot. So then we get to see the moment. Han and Chewie. First it's Han and Kira. Han steps into the, the pilot seat and is flying the Falcon for the first time. But then Kira <laughs> doesn't know what to do. I thought that was a funny moment. I, he barks out a command to her and she's like, yeah, we should do that. <laughs> but she doesn't know how. So then Chewie's like, get out of the way. And he jumps in the pilot's, co-pilot seat and starts flying. So I thought that was pretty cool. So then we get, that's when we see Han and Chewie flying the Falcon for the first time. Another legendary moment. 
Um, so they, this is, they're doing the Kessel run, but there's a big star destroyer in the way kind of cuts them off. They blockade the planet. And so they have to turn around and go back the other way. And we see Han improvise much like he does in episode five in the asteroid field. Uh, he breaks through the path and kind of goes off on his own and they're flying through a bunch of asteroids. Um, so the Kessel run, was it, how many parsecs was it that they were doing it before? It was like 20 or something? Like 20. Yeah. Yeah. So before he could only do it in 20. But Han finds a way to do it in 12, rounding down. You round down. Round down. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would do too. I mean, come on. <laughs> 12 is better than 12.9. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So he figures out a way to, with the help of L3's database, to go off the beaten path and complete, you know, get out of there faster. So what did you think about that, Harry? I mean, before, I always pictured it as a race. Um, and we all knew that parsecs were a unit of distance and not time. So they had to figure out a the right hyperspace coordinates to be able to complete the race in the shortest amount of distance as well as time. Um, yeah. Well, I guess it goes back to, did Lucas know that a parsec was distance and not time, you know, all the way back at the beginning? Cause that's, you know, been one of the Star Trek people's slams on, on the Star Wars universe is like, you guys don't even know distance from time, but um that really changes it because now it could have meant distance because he took a shortcut, a very dangerous shortcut, and one that will probably never be replicated. Because um, it was an interesting way to to make that difficult. It's always wondered, like, well, what's so special about getting to Kessel that makes it so hard that people care about how much time or distance it takes to get there? It's like, oh, it's this planet buried behind the Maelstrom. It's um, there's only one way in or out. So, and you can only do it so fast unless you're Han Solo. <laughs> yep. Yeah. For me, it was different than I expected, but just as entertaining. I mean, I, it makes sense to the story that it's how it happened as opposed to being like a, a race, like a pod race or something, you know? So thought I don't know if Lucas really thought it was, a unit of time or not. He probably did. But at this point, they're able to retcon it enough that it's, you can use it as a unit of distance. So that it works. It works out. So, so they're able to escape the maelstrom. Um, oh yeah. One more thing with Kessel. Uh, do you know what spice is on Kessel? Do we ever, I don't remember seeing exactly what it was. No, um, I mean, they, they just barely briefly mentioned it because Kira talks with the, the overlord or the master or whatever. We want to trade slaves for spice. Yeah. Um, so it was mentioned, but you don't really see them like digging something out or processing it. You know, everyone's with shovels and picks. But what exactly are they doing? Um, I, at least I didn't pick up on it. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't either. And I was hoping we would have seen something, even if it's been processed and refined to its final state. 
or if it's in its natural state. You know, what is spice? We hear about the spice mines at Kessel all the time. And we see the planet and it looks like a crappy place to work and you wouldn't want to go there. But what is it? What is spice? You know, what's it for? What does it do? Is it a drug? Is it a an ingredient like pepper or salt or something? You know, what is it? Right. I always assumed that it was uh, it was a drug because it always seemed like all the criminal underbelly was involved in its like, you know, transport and, and sales. So I kind of assumed it was a drug. And I, I you know, they didn't even like in the X-Wing game where it's sort of new canon. Um, there's a, a thing called glitter stim, but it's not spice. It's like, you know, a spice refined into glitter stim. Um, you know, it, where did this come from? So I was kind of hoping we'd, we'd find out too. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see in a different movie. So they escape. Uh, they they enter the maelstrom, and there's this monster there that they also have to escape. But there's this black hole that they also have to escape. And one of the criticisms that's been relayed to me is that we knew Han Solo wasn't going to die. We knew he was going to escape Castle, escape this maelstrom, and make it out okay. Did that have any impact on you uh, and the enjoyment of the movie? No, not at all. Um, I mean, it's an origin story. Every origin story, you know, the person's going to survive. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I don't see that as making any sense. Um, how can it be an origin story if a dude doesn't survive? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't see how that could do the criticism. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't bother me. I mean, I knew he was going to make it. And there was actually um, a part where they're they're about to escape the the black hole or whatever it is. And the ship kind of dies for a second. Awesome throwback. Yeah. And I was like, for a second there, I was like, holy crap, they're not going to make it. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. But then it re-engages, the engine re-engages, and they shoot out of there. Jump into hyperspace. Awesome scene. Yeah. That was pretty cool. So they make it to this other planet, which I forget the name of, but uh, where they're going to refine the coaxium. Harry and get it there before it blows up and they're there waiting for Dryden Voss to show up. And Fist Ness shows up once again and she's going to take over the coaxium from them. And here we get the Enfys Nest reveal of who she is and what her agenda really is, which was that they were they're fighting against uh, Crimson Dawn and getting this um, coaxium to be able to distribute to the rebels, basically. So they're part of the rebellion. And their job is to stop you know, shipments like these so they don't have a personal vendetta against Beckett or Solo. They're just trying to defeat the Empire, basically. Um, what did you think of this reveal and Enfys Nest in general? Um, I don't know. It was kind of a mind blowing, right? The head's exploding right there. It's like, holy smokes. You know, this whole time I'm thinking, oh, this is just another scum, you know, bounty hunter or smuggler or thief or whatever. And just 
has a personal vendetta against Beckett and has been his nemesis. His boss, Dryden boss, kind of hints at that, right? You should have anticipated that they'd be there and taken steps. Um, so it's something that's that's been in his past for a while yeah. and kind of harassed him or kept him from doing things at times. And then for that to be totally different from what I expected. And of course, I'm watching it the whole time thinking this is like some alien bounty hunter scum. That's his breather mask. Yeah. Or, you know, pulls the mask off and there's what, a 15 year old girl. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and she worked over Beckett on the train. Yep. And, um, but not only isn't just some scummy alien, but is tied to the rebellion and is, is part of it or at least one of their agents. So I was just like, whoa, you know, that, that, that's not where I expected it to go. Big, big twist for me. Yeah. Yeah. And she kind of hinted at that she's like the Dread Pirate Roberts, right? Where, her mom was the first one to wear the mask and now she's wearing the mask. So, yeah. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. So I guess at that point they decided to, to join her because they, from there they came up with the plan to, to screw over Dryden Voss and steal the, the coaxium from them. So I got the impression that they wanted to help her out. Or do you think they were they forced to help her out because they they had the numbers and the weapons? Um, no, I think I think well, it, it's like what uh, Kira says to, to Han says. You know, you're not a bad guy. You're not an outlaw. You're a good guy. And when he sees that, he's seen the empire from the inside. He knows that it's not good. Um, he's seen Dryden Voss. He knows what Lady Proxima's like. He knows what the, the, the syndicates how bad they can be. In, in that moment realizes we give this fuel to them and bad things are happening. They can invade another world. I mean, he said that, you know, to the Lieutenant when he was back on whatever world they were uh, in that battle. He says, it seems like we're the invaders. Yeah. Um, so he's not, uh, he's not a strong supporter of the expansionist policies of the empire and knows that this fuel, I think he says at one point, you know, this is enough fuel for a star fleet. Yeah. And, um, so I, I, I kind of I got that impression that, that he made a conscious decision and Beckett wasn't real happy about it yeah yeah Beckett they share the plan with Beckett and he decides he's not he doesn't want to be a part of it and he leaves and this is where it gets kind of tricky from this point on they go with the coaxium Han Kira and Chewie to meet with Voss they have the coaxium, they show it to him. He believes it's a fake because Beckett has communicated with him what the real plan is that they're trying to screw him over. So Beckett shows up. We see he's sold him out for money, basically. And they're going <clears> to <throat> they're gonna kill um, Solo, Kira, and Chewie. But uh, another part of the plan they didn't tell him was that... Um, so they sent, so they thought the, the coaxium that was on the ship, Dryden Voss's ship was fake. So he sent his guys to the planet to, uh, capture the real coaxium on, with Emphis Nest. They do that. 
but then they open it up and it's empty and it, the people who are dressed up like infants nest were just decoys and the real infants nest shows up and shoots them and then they realize that the real coaxium on the ship is the real stuff and so they fight Beck, Beckett and uh, Dryden Voss Beckett is able to escape with the coaxium with Chewie <laughs> and Kira and Han fight Voss and Kira kills Voss. Did I get that right? Yep, that's it. <laughs> so a lot of double crosses and false planning and and it wasn't hard to follow in the film. It was act, it was entertaining to watch in the film. Cuz you didn't know what was going to happen next, you know, is this a double cross? Is this for real? You know what's going on? And it panned out in the in the story and it was great. It's fun to watch. So, but I think from here, we kind of get some really cool key moments. Voss is killed by Kira, so she assumes leadership of the Crimson Dawn and tells Han to go get Beckett and get the Quaxium. I'll be right behind you. So he leaves to go after Chewie and, and Beckett. She stays behind and places a, a call to the leader of the crime syndicate who happens to be Darth Maul. And for me, while it made sense, but initially I was like, I was blown away. Like they're really going to do this. They're really going to bring him back in the movies because they brought him back in the clone wars. He's in rebels, these animated shows, but on some level they're not, you know, they're not movies. They're not watched by billions of people. So they can kind of be a little more looser and free with the storyline. So, but to see Darth Maul in in this film with a, a major role in, in the galaxy at the time, anyway, was huge. What did you think of bringing Darth Maul back, Perry? Did that make sense to you, or did you, did you think it was fan service, or what did you think? I, I, at first, I was like, it can't be. He pulls that hood back and I'm thinking it can't be. And then, you know, he starts talking and the voice isn't quite the same and he looks older. And at first it doesn't clue in. I'm thinking, okay, this is another dude from the same race, just as bad as Maul. He's just someone else. And then come to realize like, no, this is Maul. He's back. And it's like, part of me is like, yes, because we had a really awesome bad guy that was only in one movie. And how lame was that? It would have been awesome for him to be the nemesis of Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan throughout the, the entire prequel trilogy. Yeah. That would have been pretty cool. So now he is back, and they have the possibility of him being a nemesis to everybody for a time. Um, so I think some of it is for the fans, because there's been so much clamor ever since he died, or died, you know, I guess in quotation marks. Yeah. Um, because, like you said, half the world's, or half the Star Wars fans on the planet think he's dead because they haven't watched Clone Wars and Rebels. Because they're just cartoons and they're for kids, so why watch them? Um, and I think, so I think there probably is a little bit of that because there has been the clamor and they're like, see, you know, we are open to suggestions and we do value what fans say. But by the same token, he's one of the bad guys that everyone's like, holy crap, he's back. Um, he's a scary bad guy. He's a former Sith Lord. Now he's running a crime syndicate. This dude can be all kinds of problems. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm excited to see where they go with this. I hope, I really hope they do a movie with him. Because the way the Clone Wars ended is he had built this crime syndicate and he ascended to be the leader. But then he was taken out, not taken out, but he was captured by Darth Sidious at the end. And so, and then he shows up in Rebels. Uh, Lesser, he's not as powerful as, at least he doesn't own the crime syndicate. So it's like, you know, what is he, what's his story? What's he doing and how powerful is he? We saw a little bit of it in the Clone Wars. So I'm excited about this and I hope they do something with it more. One of my biggest criticisms, and I think I even talked about it on our podcast about uh, May the 4th, just uh, about a month ago, uh, that Star Wars is doing itself a disservice by not having storylines that go from comics to TV show to movie to video games. You know, they're not tying all these mediums together. They seem to be separate. They're saying that they happen in the same universe. They do, but there's rarely any crossover between movies. I think there's more crossover between comics and books and uh, the animated shows. But as far as the, the movies, they're not direct tie-ins. It's like, okay, the movie happens, and then this book comes out that happens that talks about what happened after. But there's no through, like, what happens in the movie, there's a consequence in the comic, or by, you know, vice versa. There's not a, a show in the Clone Wars where there's a consequence in the movie. And I think we're seeing this in this film where the Clone Wars established Darth Maul's continuing storyline, and then we see that storyline portrayed in solo. And so I think that's a great first step to being able to do that more often. So hopefully they can do something with that and carry that storyline other than just be a cameo and we never see him again in the movies. So we find out that Kira is going to bring, are going to go back, going to go to Darth Maul and she leaves solo there. And so Han confronts Beckett to get the coaxium back. They're talking. And then Han just pulls out his blaster and shoots him. So Han shoots first, finally. <laughs> like, oh, he did, like, <laughs> yeah, like he did in 77, and then he didn't in, I don't know, when was it? 97. Uh, 96 or? 97, 98, yeah. Whenever that special edition was out. Yeah. So now he's back to shooting first, which I think was great. Uh, he shoots Beckett. Beckett understands. He's like, yeah, I, I was going to shoot you, so you got to do what you got to do. He dies, and then Chewie and Han get the coaxium, give it to Enfys Nest, and um, she leaves. Oh, we, we do get to see a character from The Phantom Menace, uh, Weasel, who's portrayed by... What's his name? Willow. Oh, uh, Wicket Warrett. Wicket W. Warrett. Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis. Yeah. Portrayed by Warwick Davis. Awesome. Yeah. And that's the same character that we see in, that we saw in episode one. So I thought that was cool. Way to tie it in there. Um, oh, yeah. So before Dryden Voss showed up, no, before Infus Nest showed up, Lando takes off. <laughs> right when she shows, off, shows up, I guess. 
Orlando takes off in the Falcon, so Han and Chewie were stuck there. Uh, how did they get off? Did they show that? Doesn't show it at all. They just they walk off, and then you know the next scene is them wherever Lando is playing cards again. Yeah. So they track Lando down. Han wants a rematch, the card game. And he sees, he goes to give him a hug, and he sees that Lando has this thing that he can hide cards up his sleeve. So he's like, okay. He takes the card. They play Sabak one more time, and Han wins. <laughs> Finally wins the Falcon. So we do get to see it play out. And um, Lando had reached for that card he had up his sleeve, but since Han had taken it, he shows it to him. <laughs> throws down his hand and said, yep, I win fair and square. <laughs> so I thought that, and then the movie ends, and I thought that was a great way to end the movie. Yeah, it was great. Yep. Yeah. So overall, I thought a great film to, that fits in the, with the rest of the saga, expands the saga, expands, you know, everything that we've seen in animated shows and in movies. I thought the the young Han Solo character development was great. We see him start out as this young orphan Han on this planet, and he starts to go down the path of the smuggler that we see in episode four. Beckett had told him, you know, if you join me, you're in this life forever. We kind of see how he was in that life for, for a while and took the rebellion to bring him out, took Luke Skywalker and the Force and that whole thing to bring him out of that life and into the, the spotlight. I thought bringing Kira was a great addition to the saga, and hopefully we see more of her. Uh, I thought Lando was great. Chewie was great. And what's your take on Solo and how it fits in with, with everything and the characters and, and your review, I guess, of it? I, I thought it was a great addition to the, the whole saga, the Star Wars saga, beginning to end. Um, you get to see young Han and the development of him. And then, you know, throughout this movie, we pick up on some of the things that, that become core parts of the Han Solo character. Um, even, even going into like episode four, when um, Luke thinks he abandons him and he comes back, I think, you know, being abandoned by Beckett, you know, there when he needs to go meet Dryden Voss and pull off this, this big scam, um, that affected him and affects his line of, of, of thinking forever. Is, you know, I, somebody I've worked with, I'm not going to abandon Even though he needs to, to pay off Jabba, he's not going to because he remembers what it's like. Um, the abandonment of, of Kira, though, kind of affects him in the same way in, in that, he trusts one person for the rest of the, the his his life, or as much as we see him, and that's Leia or, or Chewie. He doesn't trust anybody else. It's just got he's got one partner, and it's the two of them. And at the end of the day, it's 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 going to be Han and Chewie. And so there's some some key character growth in creating the, the Han Solo character. Um, does introduce some some interesting characters in Fisnes. Um, Hope to see that, that whole group, but her particular again. Um, it's the, the beginning of the rebellion before we even see the rebellion in row one. Um, we got Kira, another character, and then bringing back Maul and, and Crimson Dawn. Um, 
one of the things I like about universes in any universe is when they show a part of it that's kind of a side path or a side story, the main story, that fleshes out the entire universe. So getting to see this criminal underbelly of the Empire um, was, was pretty interesting. And to see the interplay between these various criminal organizations and just how dirty and low parts of the galaxy are, even though the Empire wants to portray it as this enlightens, great place to be. There's still a lot of bad going on. Um, so I, I thought it was a great addition. Some very cool characters, some good character development, and um, really enjoy the movie. Uh, my only um, my only negative to it is I wish it was two parts so that we could have thrown in a few more things and even developed each of these characters a little more. Yeah, where would you have divided it and what would you have included that wasn't there? Um, I think I would have started with Han and Kira younger and, and shown them pulling a few jobs, doing some work, day-to-day living for, for Lady Proxima and not even shown her until that key moment. Just the um, build up the anticipation of how bad this character is. <clears throat> and then, but also show a little longer what it's like for orphans in the, in the Empire that are stuck working for the crime syndicate. And, and build that up for a little while. And uh, so build that whole story up, create those characters, get to the point where they're separated. And then show Han in combat. Or maybe even show him at the Academy for a while. Show him interacting with with the uh whatever his instructors and his commander and then having that falling out where they're like hey you're imperial infantry now have fun because your life expectancy is about 20 minutes <laughs> yeah but then show a couple of battles you know um and then build up that the, the imperial war machine it, it builds it up in your head and creates that sense that it's humongous it's unstoppable um the rebellion has its hands full and then maybe um, end it with him flying off planet with Beckett right there. And then in the second movie, you do a couple of jobs as they gather the equipment necessary for the big job. You can build up uh, Dryden Voss a little more in the Crimson Dawn and how, um, how bad they are and how you don't want to cross him. Because that reveal, like, we're not stealing this for ourselves. We were hired. That's a pretty big reveal. But without the... Uh, without owning that they're really bad and you don't want to owe them, I think it lost a little bit of strength. And then, um, and then we go from there and, f- and finish out that movie. Um, but nobody asked me, you know, <laughs> I wasn't contacted. Disney and uh, Ron didn't call you, text you and say, hey, what do you think about this? No, he didn't. It's unfortunate. It would have turned out better, but hey, what can we do? Yeah. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think seeing more adventures of Han and Kira together, I, I would have enjoyed that. That was one of my favorite parts of the film is that first 20 minutes or so. And with as far as Han being in the Empire, yeah, I would have loved to see that. Um, when I, when uh, they first announced that, that they were going to be doing like Rogue One and all these standalones, they were saying that Rogue One was going to be saving Private Ryan in space. And so it was going to be a lot of you know, war and grits and just kind of star Wars. Right. But we got a little bit of that, but I didn't think they delivered on that promise, but we kind of saw a glimpse of it here in solo in that, you know, scene where he's out there on Mimbin fighting. We saw how 
dark and gritty war can be. And uh, to see like another 30 minutes, 20 minutes of that, I think would have been great. I would have loved to see that. So yeah, I think, I think those are good points. But as far as two movies, I don't know. I, I think I would have just rather seen a longer movie. But I mean, yeah, um, I mean, maybe they could have fit it in a longer movie. Um, I just would have liked to see a little bit of extension on several parts. Yeah. I mean, I'm always up for seeing two movies instead of one, oh, yeah. but selling it to the public is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of where I'm, where I'm coming from too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely go see solo. If you haven't already buy it when it comes out of video, watch it. Uh, for me, it was a great addition to the star Wars universe. Uh, the Star Wars saga. Uh, any other thoughts on this film, Perry? Um, no, I think I've got everything out. Uh, just I, you know, second what you just said. Go see it. It's a great addition. Um, you won't be disappointed. And if you even sort of like Han and Lando, you're you're going to like them even more after seeing this and seeing where they come from. Yeah. I think for me, it's it's the best film since the Disney buyout. I mean, I loved Rogue One. I liked Episode Seven. Episode Eight was all right. Had some good points, but I loved Solo. I think barely beats out Rogue One in my opinion. Uh, maybe over the test of time, you know, over the next couple months, I'll ease back on that a little bit. But for now, um, Solo is the best one. I like I said, I'd give it an A, A minus maybe. While Rogue One's just slightly under that. So. Yeah, I liked it so much. I wanted to go buy another ticket the same night. You know, <laughs> just sit right back down and watch it again. It's like there was just there was a lot of just wow and the twists and like okay, did I miss anything? Did I catch everything? Um, what little keys and, and little teasers are, are thrown in and around in the scenes and the people and the aliens and um, so. I'll be getting it the day it comes out on, on Blu-ray and I'll be watching it again um, because, yeah, it's, it's right up there. It's, it's neck and neck with Rogue One for me. Yeah, I hope they have a lot of good deleted scenes and special features on the home release. That'd be, that'd be awesome to watch more of how they made this film. So, Well, we want to thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Predator Nerds podcast. Uh, right now we're having a giveaway on our facebook site so if you are listening to this in real time on or around may 27th 2018 join us on our facebook page the credulous nerds we're giving away four mystery mini funko pops from the solo movie as well as a full-size pop on solo number 238 so join us there and like our page and find the post that talks about the, the giveaway and like that and share it you'll be entered in to win one of these pops so we enjoy interacting with our listeners on the Facebook page and other social media sites and we're always doing giveaways and contests and polls so join us there for the conversation uh, we talk about not only Star Wars but uh, DC Comics Marvel uh, pretty Star Trek pretty much anything and everything nerdy so join us there Say hi, drop by, say hi, and join in on the conversation. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Credulous Nerds. We're on Instagram, Credulous Nerds. Join us on our Patreon page where you can find exclusive content for our patrons. 
uh, contribute to the Credulous Nerds and you get some exclusive podcasts, some exclusive music, and all kinds of cool stuff. So join us there. Obviously, we're on Facebook. You can join us on our website, thecredulousnerds.com and join us there and we hope to hear from you and kind of what you're interested in. Let us know what universes you like. And we want to thank you again for listening and may the force be with you. Bye. Bye.